HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Nutrislice, helping school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. For more information, visit Nutrislice.com. I'm Erica Wise, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning and welcome to Inside School Food. I am Laura Stanley and today I am bringing you the second of a pair of updated older episodes from Inside School Food's first season in the spring summer of 2014. I chose these two early segments in particular because they touch on areas where we hope to see um, new funding in the upcoming child uh, nutrition reauthorization. Uh, Last time we talked about professional development for food service workers, and today we're going to hear about salad bars. Um, They are obviously enormously popular for reasons most of you already know, including they reduce waste because students get to take what they like. But it takes careful planning to get them to work safely and efficiently. So that is what we talked about in June 2014 with the salad bar gurus at Riverside Unified School District in Southern California. We began the segment with Rodney Taylor, who was Direction of Nutrition Services there at the time. Um, He'd previously been in Santa Monica, where he developed the salad bar strategy that has proven so successful in Riverside, so successful that it's widely regarded as a model nationally. Um, Rodney is now serving as Director of Food and Nutrition Services for the Fairfax County, Virginia schools. He has promised to return to the show when he's ready to tell us what he's got going there. And I hope you're listening, Rodney, because I'm going to hold you to that. Um, So let's hear from Rodney first. And after station break, I will jump back in to tell you a little about what's been happening at Riverside Unified since we recorded this episode. I came to Riverside in 2002, and I've got to give you a quick history on what I walked into. Uh, The food service fund was $3.1 million in the hole. They had built a central kitchen that opened in 1998, went a million and a half over budget, and uh, they couldn't make the lease payments. And everyone wanted to know, what was I going to do? And I 
said, I'm going to put solid bars in. And uh, they laughed. And uh, I sit here today and we have solid bars in 30 of the 31 elementary schools. We've paid the $3.1 million debt and we began the school year with a $5.1 million reserve. So you, you've really cut to the chase here. You've you managed to get the district out of debt and you're turning a profit using yeah. salad bars. Like, What's the secret? The secret is changing perceptions about what school food service is. When I came to Riverside, we were feeding 47% of the kids. That's 53% or over 20,000 students weren't eating with us every day. What that tells me is uh, there's probably something wrong with the food service and any number of things. Um, And so I uh, went about implementing the salad bar, recognizing that I had to win the trust of parents. Uh, We would uh, conduct ourselves as a nutrition program. The salad bar was more than just offering fresh fruits and vegetables. It was taking kids to the farm, bringing farmers in the classroom, having the chef and my nutritionist in the classroom. So I would tell you I'm going to take your little five-year-old and I'm going to teach them to be a lifelong healthy eater so that when they become adults, they'll make healthy choices. And I've always believed if you take care of your body when it's young, it'll take care of you when you're older. Right. But in, in Riverside, you're, you are dealing with a um, population of kids, at least at the beginning, who were not um, being exposed to a lot of fresh produce at home. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, 40, 47% of our children at that time were from at-risk families. And uh, being from an at-risk family myself and knowing hunger far more intimately than I care to discuss, I knew that I had children that didn't have fruit bowls on their table, didn't have um, supermarkets in their neighborhoods, and uh, I wanted to ensure that they had access to fresh fruits and vegetables on a daily basis and that we taught them how to eat properly. Riverside is three times the size of Santa Monica. Santa Monica was 15,000 students. I have 43,000 students here, and now 68% of those children come from at-risk family. So it's really uh, an awesome responsibility to ensure that these kids are consuming the proper amount of fruits and vegetables and that we're combating hunger at the same time as we're addressing the obesity crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so what percent of the meals are now coming off the salad bar in your elementary schools? Uh, 100% now. We have what we call uh, SB1 or salad bar first, meaning every kid goes through the salad bar first, where they at that point are engaged by an adult on each side who are asked to engage and encourage children to eat the colors. So we want the plate colorful, and we have a display plate for children to see uh, what an ideal plate looks like. We encourage them. And um, we are being very successful in getting them to not only take fresh fruits and vegetables, but to consume them. 
And the salad bar works much like a, a buffet in that all of the kids are building the colors for their salad, and then the entree is the last thing they receive. And the focus is not on the entree. We've really changed the way kids see the center of the plate, and it's more the fresh fruits and vegetables. And by the way, when they get to the end of the line and they built that colorful plate, they get a sticker that says, I've got a rainbow in my tummy. <laughs> Awesome. And, and and the kids think that's pretty cool. Yes. And that's how we encourage them and engage them to uh, eat healthy. Right, right. And and then um, the the center of the plate item, which is now you're saying not necessarily quite the center of the plate, that, that's at the end of the line. Um, I know that you're using some of your commodity dollars to fill the meal out um, at the end there and to help um, make ends meet. Can you talk about how that works? Oh, yes. Um, let me give you one item we worked on. We wanted to reduce the amount of processed food that we were serving kids. And we really wanted to target the most popular items, which was chicken nuggets, chicken patties, and chicken strip. So we found that uh, USDA Foods uh, offered a broiled chicken. Now, it's a pre-cooked chicken that's minimally processed. And we gave that to the chef and asked him to come up with five platforms uh, that we could use. So he developed rubs. And um, so we have barbecue chicken, rotisserie chicken, uh, ranch chicken, lemon lime, and uh, I forget the fifth one offhand. I'm sorry. Uh, But um, we then replaced chicken. We took chicken nuggets, chicken patties, and chicken strips off the menu. We offered the five items, rotating them, and the kids never even noticed. But here's the genius in all of that. We got them to stop eating highly processed food, which we don't feel is good for the kids, to minimally processed, and we reduced the the, uh, plate cost by 37 cents. That allows us to spend more money on more healthful foods and change uh, school food service in our district. Right, right. I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in the details of, of how you crunch the numbers. So so there's the commodity piece. Um, you said you're reducing by 37%. And then your produce purchasing, how do you control costs with that? We, we buy directly from local farmers, and we're constantly negotiating pricing, and we're getting good pricing. Uh, give you an example, if we need um, strawberries for a meal to put on the salad bar, we need 400 flats. We can assure a small farmer we can buy everything that he grows. Uh, with that knowledge, we can negotiate a price uh, based on the volume that we're going to sell him that would be below uh, market price, which makes us competitive. So for those that argue that uh, buying fresh fruits and vegetables from local farmers are more expensive, that's not necessarily true. It may begin that way, but in time, if you have the type of volume we do, uh, we can reduce our cost by a penny or two. And that makes all the difference in the world when you're serving 
than over six million meals a year. Right. So part of your secret is is volume, and and then a part of your secret is that you have Priscilla Friend, who we're going to speak to later um, in this segment, um, who is devoted to uh, you know maintaining those relationships with the farmers. That's correct. Right, right. Um, so to return to our salad bar skeptics, because um, as I said earlier in the show, I, I, I have spoken at length with, with folks who have real concerns about, um, let's start with the food safety piece, because I think that's the one that looms the largest. And I, I know that you teach at USDA's Produce University, so you're kind of an expert on that. Can you, can you tell us about food safety and salad bars? Yes. Uh, USDA not only... Um, um, agrees that solid bars can be offered in a safe manner. Um, if you go on their website, you'll see that they promote it, as does the First Lady, and uh, many, many dietitians uh, support uh, the idea of self-serve salad bars and that they can be offered in a safe way. We teach our children uh, salad bar etiquette. Uh, we use all of the HACCP principles, which is the hazardous analysis critical critical control point, which we use throughout our operations. So we're ensuring uh, fresh fruits and vegetables are handled in the same way any other product that comes to our back dock. We're going to ensure that it's uh, been refrigerated, that the temperature is proper. We're going to inspect it properly. We're going to store it properly. We're going to handle it uh, properly and then ensure that it is received at the schools at the proper temperature and offered in a proper manner uh, and then before any child goes through the salad bar, we have conducted assemblies at the school that teaches children to how to handle uh, salad bar utensils, how to sneeze away from the salad bar in their armpit, how when something drops to leave it, we pick that up. Um, I have served over 6 million salad bar meals in Riverside. For those that tell you that it places children at risk, I would say I haven't lost a child yet. Um, those obstacles exist in the mind of adults. They're not real obstacles. And I like to say, if you want to do something, you'll find a way. And if you don't, you'll find an excuse. Right, right. Well, and this, this notion of the, the assembly is, is pretty fabulous. Um, you, you train everybody together and then having the kids all in one room learning about this is they can reinforce one another about it. And I understand also that in your county, your uh, staff um, is trained at a level that is not the norm across the country. Is that right? That's, cor- food that's correct. Yeah. Um, not only do all of our employees have our food handlers have their certificate for food handling, many of our employees, because we teach, we have a, a dietitian on staff who teaches the safe serve um, class. Uh, we do not charge employees. We encourage all of them to be um, certified. Uh, and because of that, we have a very, very high number of our 358 employees who are certified beyond any minimum standards. And um, that's important um, because we've never shot for standards, whatever the USDA standards are. We've always asked ourselves, how do we create a better dining experience for our children? How do we educate our employees so that they can grow in their own profession, but more importantly, that we are um, 
handling food in a way that we never endanger the 43,000 children that we're responsible for. Right, right. So uh, another thing that comes up in conversations with salad bar skeptics is managing the mess. Um, tell us how you, t- you know, contain mess in your salad bars. Um, we, as again, uh, we teach the children um, how to use the salad bar, and it's interesting because most people think it's the kindergartners and first graders that would have problems. Those kids are very impressionable up to third grade and fourth. It's the fifth and sixth graders that you really have to work with, and yet they respond very well. You know, we like to say we serve them love. Um, these are our children. We know how to communicate with them. We're always engaging with them. We're teaching them the importance not only of not wasting food, um, but always being very safe uh, in every way. So we're right there uh, not only monitoring and engaging kids, but we're keeping the salad bar clean and sanitary. And that's very possible. Right. You mentioned waste. Um, How do you uh, reinforce the the anti-waste message with kids because a lot of children when they see the beautiful salad bar you know their eyes are bigger than their stomachs so so (laughs) how do you deal with that Uh, We teach them, and the teachers reinforce it in the classroom. It's a part of our etiquette that we teach in the uh, assemblies that they come to. But we also give the teachers uh, the etiquette in writing, and they go over it with the children. And uh, what we found is not only do we control the waste, uh, but we reduce our food costs, which allows us to absorb the additional cost for labor and produce. So most folks will say, well, it's more expensive. Well, that's not necessarily true because we're buying from farmers fruit that's not uh, uniform and nice and wax like in the store. We're getting the fruit that may be smaller that wouldn't sell in a market. And so we're getting a, a competitive price. Uh, we're teaching our children not to waste. And overall, what we've seen is our food costs drop. And that has helped us to with the investment that we had to make on solid bars and for the additional labor. Um, While our kids have been getting healthy, um, we had seven straight years where we increased our revenue at a million dollars a year. So for those who say kids won't eat healthy, and if they do, it's too costly to the program, they only need to come and look at my finances, and uh, it will prove them wrong. Right, right. And then, and now that we've, you, you know, we've got these strict um, rules around um, the, the portions of veggies kids are supposed to take and the balance of different colors, uh, how do you manage that at the point of service? Uh, and that's why the adults are there engaging, and we had taught our kids even before. Again, we weren't shooting for minimum standards. We have always been encouraging our kids to eat the color and to consume more. And so when the new regulations from the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act came along, we like to think that those regulations were patterned a little after what we were doing. We had had visitors from USDA come and study our program uh, under Secretary. Kevin Kincannon had been here for our five-year anniversary. They were well aware of the work that we were 
doing, and we've never shot for minimum standards. So when it comes to serving dark leafy greens or orange vegetables or legumes or introducing new items, we had been doing that long before the regulations came in. So it's a non-issue for us. Yeah. Yeah, fabulous. Well, Rodney Taylor, as ever, it's been so inspirational speaking with you and I hope hopefully empowering for our listeners. Um, I'd love to let you keep talking, but we have two fabulous members of your team who are eager to share their piece of the Riverside story. Great, great. Thank you so much for joining us on Insights. Thank you. And next up, we have Priscilla Friend and Chef Ryan Douglas. So stay with us. Today's program was brought to you by Nutrislice. Nutrislice wants to see you succeed. They help school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. Nutrislice is all about helping people increase their nutrition IQ. Their products are designed to engage, educate, and inspire greater levels of personal wellness. Whether you're interested in communicating the virtues of your nutrition program, upping your game in the fight against childhood obesity, saving money, or becoming more innovative, Nutrislice has the tools for you. They can help you reduce food waste by getting kids excited about eating healthy foods. Is your program serving healthy foods but not getting the credit it deserves? Nutrislice can help you communicate all the great things you're doing to parents, students, school administrators, and the community. They can also help you gain critical customer insights to your business. They've worked with the most innovative school nutrition programs in the country, big and small, and their experience speaks for itself. Get in touch today to see what Nutrislice can do for you. That's Nutrislice.com. Welcome back. Uh, I am so pleased to be re-airing this 2014 conversation with the passionate food service team at Riverside um, Unified School District in California. Uh, when I called them last month to get an update, I got to know Kirsten Rolson, who is filling Rodney's shoes very admirably. And she and Priscilla and Ryan had lots of news for me. Um, they've added more farmers to the program. They are leasing district land to a farmer who will grow for the schools and establish a teaching garden for students. They have partnered with Feeding America America to bring free farmers markets to five high-need elementary schools. They're buying local antibiotic-free chicken, and they're now cooking chicken and a whole lot more from scratch in their new central kitchen. Um, And that central kitchen also serves as a food hub, preparing meals not just for Riverside, but for neighboring districts that don't have kitchens. Um, Eventually, the the hub will distribute fresh produce to corner stores in underserved neighborhoods. There's a restaurant at the kitchen for the community. The restaurant delivers, um, and they do catering for local businesses, and they cater weddings. Uh, In short, Riverside Unified continues to break new ground, pioneering new strategies for serving the community and turning handsome profits with healthy, delicious local food. Um, It appears we will need to produce a new episode about them at some point. Um, But in the meantime, let's hear what Ryan and Priscilla had to tell us in the summer of 2014. I have on the line two people whose work has been critical to the success of the program, Executive Chef Ryan Douglas and Field Operations Supervisor Priscilla Friend. 
Ryan began his career in institutional food service um, with the Air Force more than 29 years ago. He he told me that the Air Force trains many, many ships, um, which was news to me. Pretty exciting. Um, he recently received commendation from First Lady Michelle Obama for his progressive work in school food. Priscilla has the job at Riverside that I think I would want. Uh, she oversees the Farmer's Market Salad Bar program, including staff training, and works directly with local farmers on produce procurement. Uh, she's been working with Rodney on growing the Salad Bar program at Riverside since the beginning. Um, so, Ryan, I understand that you were hired in response to something of a revolt among the older students, so, so middle school and up. They, they wouldn't eat school lunch because there was no salad bar? Well, um, when I came on board, uh, there was an outcry from the parents, uh, you know, as the children trans or, or moved into middle and high school, you know, we were getting inundated by a bunch of calls from parents and things like that. How come my kids don't have salad bar in middle schools? What's going on? So what we've done is Rodney came to me and said, okay, hey, Ryan, we need to, we need to address this issue because the success of our salad bar is now carrying over into the middle and high schools, and we have to give the children uh, something also. So we came up with a line called Fresh Express, and uh, we do uh, signature sandwiches and salads made fresh daily uh, for the children in the middle and high schools. That was our response to uh, the outcry or the uh, calls we got from parents about the salad bar. Right, right. And and why did you choose to do this? Like, why couldn't the district just reproduce the salad bar experience that the kids were used to from elementary school? Well, a lot of those issues uh, are taken care of by our director, uh, Mr. Taylor. But I believe that, you know, as a business, we have to take a look at staffing, being able to restock the increased or high volume numbers once they move into the middle and high schools and also portion control. So a lot of those different factors, you know, uh, here in Riverside, we conduct our uh, everything we do as a business. So as a business standpoint, I think a lot of the different issues uh, may have affected uh, the reason why we uh, didn't have or implement uh, salad bars in the middle and high schools. Right, right. So you have this model called Fresh Express, and Mm -hmm. what, what does it look like at the point of purchase? Well, what we want to do is, as you well know, a lot of people or everybody kind of like eats with their eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to be able to say, we want the wow factor. Wow, this looks great. And we do an extreme amount of marketing. And uh, I do a lot of culinary training about presentation and how the product should look. So at the point of sale, you know, when the children are going through the line, we want to create, as Mr. Taylor has always told us, uh, his concept or his premise in producing uh, the food that we do, a dining experience. We want to be able to give them a dining experience so when they see what we offer them, it it, it looks good, it tastes good. Uh, We want that wow factor. That's what draws draws the children into the product. Mm -hmm. And and what are some of your most popular items? (laughs) Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Some of our most popular items is our fruit parfait. Mm -hmm. Uh, We uh, have a uh, couple of sandwiches that are really, really good, our beef torta. We also have a roasted turkey uh, with a cranberry barbecue dip. Now, the the good thing about all these products is that we're using USDA Foods proteins, and that actually drops 
the plate cost. Mm-hmm. So we're able to offer higher-end items with this, like ciabatta breads, focaccia breads, different types of uh, salad dressings that are a little bit more upscale than what you when you normally see a, a uh, you know, at school sometimes you see the little PC Ranch 12 mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Real small, we're able to upgrade, give them a more designer look, and we we do serious tasting and testing with the product. Right, right. That was something I was going to ask you about. We, we hear about that a lot in, in programs that are successful to to kind of push the kids' envelopes. You you taste test in advance to get their buy-in, right? Right. That that is a critical component mm-hmm. in what we develop. Any platform that we do come up with. Uh, it starts with a team effort. We have our staff meetings, and, uh, you know, I'll come up with a concept, or they'll come up with a concept, and we, we, we'll go back and forth. We do a lot of testing and tasting. The critical component to this, the most important thing, is taking it to your clients. You can't develop something and assume, okay, the kids are just going to love this. Well, mm-hmm. you, you really don't know. Right. <laughs> so right. When, you, when you take it to your clients, and the, the, the children are our clients. We set it up like a gourmet catering. I got skirting, tables, uh, vases, everything for uh, a, a catering. And what we do is we have survey cards. And as the children are coming through and they're excited, we build excitement. We, we're engaging the kids. Hey, you guys, come on. We're, we're doing all of that. And we get their buy-in because, you know, kids are real honest. They'll mm-hmm. tell you, oh, I don't like this. This is horrible. This is nasty. Or they'll tell you, this is great. When can we get this? So once we get these uh, survey cards, uh, we compile this information, and then we, we find out which items they like the best, and then we implement or put that new platform in the next cycle of menus and things that we do. Right, right. What, what I'm hearing about the, the kind of level of respect you have for the kids and calling them clients and, and you know, not writing them off as, oh, you know, they're teenagers, they only want to eat fast food. It's, it's very moving. Um, and, and I think it's a, it's a great, um, I don't know, it's just instructive uh, for, for folks it, who think differently about it, teenagers. It's the mindset that we have here. Mm-hmm. It starts from the top. When right. you have great leadership, they have the vision. We carry out the vision, right. but there's a, there's a level of service that we want to be able to provide. Once they see that you care, once they see that, wow, we're just not getting crap or we don't like this or that, once they see and we engage them, it will immediately turn around what it is you're doing. Right, right, and and that brings me to Priscilla. Um, I, you know, the, the part part of what you're doing in in showing that respect and delivering that level of quality is engaging with your local farmers to bring in super fresh um, produce. So, Priscilla, h- how many farms do you work with? Um, currently, right now, I have about ten farmers, local farmers in our area that I deal with. And then how far in advance do you work with them? I mean, are they actually growing to order for you, or is it more like they call you and tell you what they've got, or is it a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. Um, I do have um, about three farmers that 
um, constantly, you know, we're talking and letting me know, you know, they want to know my needs are, what are the most popular, how much do I expect to use, especially lettuce and spinach. Um, and we don't offer iceberg. We offer the green um, nutritious lettuce, the red leaf, the romaine, the mini romaine, um, uh, mangetta lettuce. It's just so colorful and uh, dark green spinach. Um, so basically, you know, as we start off, you know, we'll buy from them as they see how much produce I'm using, then they want to know, okay, I can, you know, I can grow this for you, uh, but I just need time, in, you know, to prepare for it. And mm-hmm. I understand, you know, let's um, let's move forward and uh, keep this produce coming. <laughs> right, right. Because we're going to use it. <laughs> but if, if they suddenly find they have surplus, um, do you have flexibilities to, to take take it in and adapt your menus to, to use it? Well, at the t- if they have surplus at the time, you know, we're talking fresh produce here. Um, I can try to slip it in if if it's within, you know, the, my need that I could use it in with a timely manner, I will take it on. And this has happened, you know, especially with the melons that are coming on, um, the cantaloupes and the honeydews, you know, they, they have an abundance of this coming through and I get calls and say, hey, you know, I have about uh, 20 crates. Do you think you can move them? I can get them to you within, you know, a matter of days. Then we'll, based on whatever we're offering in the menu, if I could use them, I'll get them in. Right. Um, but it's just, you know, whatever is available at that time. Yeah. So Rodney mentioned um, farm visits for kids and farmer visits to classrooms. So it sounds like students are aware that this food is local and, and who's growing it for them. Yes, that is true. We have farmer visits in classroom, and they'll bring, um, you know, w- what they harvest in class and h- what it starts off as, and um, they let them sample it. They'll give them, you know, let them, uh, you know, you know, prepare it and serve it, um, and also farm visits. They go and uh, see how you know the acres, how many acres they have, and what exactly they're growing. It's just neat. The kids love it. Yeah. Sometimes they get their hands in the dirt and um, you know let them actually get a, a good hands-on experience. Right, right, and it really personalizes it for them. So that, that, that's just so cool. Um, and then you know, lastly, Priscilla, um, it, you know, you're bringing in a lot of produce, and you know, we talked about how um, well-trained staff is to handle it. Are, are they doing all of the, you know, chopping, cutting, shredding on site, or do you use a fresh cut processor also? We have um, all. We have 29 elementary schools with the farmers market celebrars um, in them, and they prepare um, pretty much most of the produce that's on that every day as it gets it's served, gets delivered that day, and it's served that day. We chop our own lettuce, we wedge our own apples and oranges, and when we offer the grapes, we divine, you know, take them off the vines. Um, where they they don't have to you know they're not in the clusters. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oranges we get all when they're all in season the Valencias and the um, blood oranges and the navels when they're all in season as well as all the different types of tangerines. So everything that we get in on that bar is pretty much chopped and 
offered that day. Right. Uh, right. So, in minimal, I think we get the bunny carrots. We do get those in on the in the five pound bags in the bulk, mm-hmm. but that's pretty much all that's you know like a process because it's just uh, we don't have um, the appropriate chopper to do that many carrots that we need daily for the bar. Right. Right, right. You certainly have um, quite the bounty where you are, and I think listeners in the Northeast and the Upper Midwest are are just like wishing I could get blood oranges. <laughs> it's fabulous. Well, it's a labor of love, mm-hmm. and you know, I started it uh, in two thousand and five, uh, and Rodney took me out to uh, Compton and seen their Celebar program out there, and. He says, you know, what do you think? Do you think we can make this happen? And I said, we sure can. Let's do this. Um, And here we are going on 10 years, and I'm still involved and keep growing this program as best that I can. Um, And Rodney is a, you know, great director, and he makes things happen, and he believes um, the best for the children, and we make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I need to get out there and have a salad with you guys. Yes, please do. Please do. So, Priscilla and Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. This is Inside School Food. You've been listening to an updated version of one of our favorite episodes from our first season. If you are a new listener, you owe it to yourself to look back at some more. Um, You can browse episodes all the way back to May 2014 on InsideSchoolFood.com, HeritageRadioNetwork.org, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Then join us on Facebook or Twitter or sign up for the Inside School Food newsletter, uh, and that's available via InsideSchoolFood.com. I'm Laura Stanley. You know my name. Now tell me yours. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.